Uh, well, again, good morning. Welcome, guys. Thanks for being with us this morning. Thanks for taking some time out of your uh, weekend plans to, uh, to be here at West Bowl, especially if you're visiting. Saw a lot of new faces, a lot of good-looking new faces. Uh, grateful that you joined us today. Special gift in the foyer for you. Fill out your visitor card. Take that out there. Get some more information about the church, how you can help us uh, do all that God is asking, calling us to do in this place. But so glad you're today, uh, here with us today. Hey, I'm super excited about the service. I knew the worship was going to be awesome. Will came in on Wednesday, and he was like, dude, wait till Sunday. So I knew it was coming, boy. That was incredible. I was already amped up. Uh, but thank you guys for doing that. I'm excited about the whole week. You know, as the start Holy Week this week, a lot of neat things are happening each and every day. And so on Thursday, we're going to come together, as Ryan said, special Monday Thursday. Monday Thursday is kind of celebrating the Last Supper that Jesus had with his disciples, as well as kind of the start of his final 72 hours or so on the earth. So we're going to walk through the final 72 hours of Jesus, some powerful experiential opportunities. So come Thursday night, 7 o'clock, family-style worship. It's going to be a time that really prepares our hearts for what happens and what's coming on Sunday, Easter Sunday. We're super excited about Easter Sunday. That's kind of our Super Bowl, man. we got to get amped up for that. Uh, we, uh, we are excited to, to share with this community the beauty and the wonder and the power of the resurrection. So two services, 8.30 in here as well, choir, bagpipes. Come on, that's Easter Sunday right there, boy. And then 10.30, uh, Kim and the band have got an amazing service planned for you as well. Make, be sure you bring somebody. Like Ryan said, one or 200 people with you. We would love that. Uh, this is a unique opportunity, unique time of year where folks might come with you to church uh, when they wouldn't otherwise. And so it's a powerful opportunity for folks, maybe for the first time in their entire life, to ever hear about and, and be infused with the power of the life of God. Right? And so bring somebody with you. Uh, this morning we are continuing a series on the Holy Spirit, a series we've entitled Limitless. See, the Holy Spirit is quite possibly the most underrated and underappreciated person in the world, and especially in the church today, which is a small little problem because he's the most highly anticipated and uh, most uh, highly anticipated promise and gift uh, in all of the Scripture. And so for us to undervalue him and underappreciate him, that does a major disservice to him. He is at the, the focal point of all that God wants to give us and do through us. So uh, that's kind of where we're at this morning. Glad you're here again. Let's pray before we continue. Father, uh, Moses met you on top of the mountain when he received the Ten Commandments. And when he was in that place, he said, God, I'm not leaving this place until you show me your glory. I want that to be the cry of our hearts this morning as well. Hopefully through the song and through the prayer, God, we, we experienced a little bit of your glory, your power, your wonder, your love for us. And we pray that that will happen even more so now. Show us your glory. We won't leave until we see it, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Something powerful about a person's final words, isn't there? Uh, maybe it's the coach's final words to the team before the big game. Maybe it's the general's final words to, the, to the, uh, the, the group of soldiers before the big battle. Or maybe it's a loved one's final words before someone breathes their last. A person's final words, though, they matter, and they're meant to stick in our minds forever. That's exactly the case when it comes to Jesus' final words here on the earth. This is the last thing he said before he returned to heaven. Acts 1, 4 through 8. Don't leave Jerusalem, but wait. Wait for the gift that my father has promised. For John, my cousin, baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria, even to the very ends of the earth. After this, he was taken up before their very eyes. He was gone forever. Jesus didn't have to say a whole lot here, but boy, did he say a whole lot here. In his final words, 
He tells the disciples so many different things, but at first, his words seem somewhat anticlimactic, if you think about it. He more or less tells the followers, his followers, his friends, his family, to hurry up and wait. Kim had a couple of songs this morning talking about waiting, right? Waiting on the Lord. That's what the uh, disciples were encouraged and even commanded to do here in Acts. Hurry up and wait. You ever been in a situation like that before? Where you wanted to do or act or move so badly, but all you could do was just kind of sit there and wait? Expectant mothers know this feeling, don't they? At the end of that ninth month, you are so ready to see that child and be done with that child in here. You want them out here. But all you can do in that moment is kind of hurry up and wait. I mean, I guess you could jump on the trampoline. That's your other option. But it's better just to hurry up and wait. If you've just taken a test, maybe at school or undergone a medical exam, you know this feeling well. When it comes to getting your results, all you can do is hurry up and wait. The disciples are in a similar situation here in Acts chapter 1. Okay, yes, they've been with Jesus every day for the last three years. Yes, they've seen him do the miraculous and even participated in it themselves. Yes, they have touched his resurrected body. Yes, they've been commanded to go out and make disciples. But the fact of the matter is they're not ready. The fact of the matter is they need to wait. Because what Jesus says here in his final words is, is profound. I mean, that you would expect his final words to the disciples to be something like, you guys are going to kill it. Or is it something like, watch out, world. Go get them, boys. Don't forget about this. Make sure you do this. Or these are his final words. But what does he say? Wait. Wait. And that's because before they could go out, the Holy Spirit had to come in. Before they could teach others, they had to be transformed themselves. Before they could carry out the plan, they had to be infused with power. See, in his final words, this little discourse here, Jesus makes it clear that he's about to use the disciples to change the world. But first, he had to change them. He had to change them from weaklings to witnesses. Not sure if we ever have titles to sermons, but that's it for this week. From weaklings to witnesses. See, a witness is someone who will boldly explain, who will powerfully portray and demonstrate what he or she has seen and heard. A witness is someone who shares with others what they have experienced to be true and real and right. A witness proclaims what they know to be true, what they've seen, what they've heard, what they've experienced, no matter what other people say and no matter the consequence. And Jesus says, after you wait, you will become my witnesses. That's why I need you to wait. Right? It's, it's amazing. In his final words, Jesus doesn't say, okay, I'm leaving now, and your mission as I leave disciples, I want you to go to church two times a month. Okay, three if you're really spiritual. He doesn't say, okay, okay, disciples, I want, you to, I want you to be really nice guys. He doesn't say, okay, 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 you know what I really want you to do? I want you to play nice with others. He doesn't say, I want you to be on a committee every now and again. I want you to give away money every now and again. What does he say? He says, wait, because you're about to become my witnesses. He wanted them to be his witnesses to the world. Although his time on the earth was coming to an end, his ministry was about to take off, and it was about to take off through his disciples. He said, you'll start in Jerusalem. You'll start with your family, your friends, your immediate context. But then I'm going to empower you to witness even to Judea, people you've never met before who live around you. Oh, and then after that, I'm going to empower you to witness to Samaria, people who don't like you and vice versa. Then I'm going to empower you to take that message all the way to the ends of the earth, from weakling to witness 
throughout the entire world. See, these guys, these 12 guys, 11 guys are about to take the message of Jesus to the masses. They're about to spread the hope of eternity throughout the entire earth. But for that to happen, for any of that to happen, to break down spiritual strongholds, to break down walls like we prayed about, to share with friends and family, even some strange foreigners, for any of that to happen, they need, needed to have the Holy Spirit. See, they needed far more than just a pep talk. They needed far more than a keen intellect. They needed more than a sincere heart. They needed more than a great PowerPoint presentation. They needed more than a good, a, a good uh, like seven steps to effective evangelism. They needed more than all of that. They needed the Holy Spirit. If they were going to witness to the world on God's behalf, they had to wait until the Holy Spirit came. Because the Holy Spirit transforms people into witnesses. See, now up until this point in our Holy Spirit series, we've been talking about what the Holy Spirit does to you and in you. And that's important. But this morning, as we read the book of Acts, as we look through the Old Testament, it's about what the Holy Spirit wants to do through you. Not just to you, not just for you, but through you. It goes all the way back to Jesus' public ministry. He's about to reveal himself as the Messiah. He's about to say, I'm the guy. I'm the one you've been waiting for. And as he does, on the brink of that moment, he references, he, he uses a specific scripture. Do you remember what it was? Isaiah 61. He reads this scripture in the beginning of his ministry. Listen, listen to this. The spirit of the sovereign Lord, the Holy Spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me. Because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. This is an important truth here. There's so much going on. But one of the things that's happening is this. Jesus was anointed with the Holy Spirit. And do you see why? Not for his own sake, not for his own benefit, but for the sake and benefit of others. The Spirit was given to him. The Spirit was placed on and in him so he could bless and proclaim truth to others. You with me? And the same is true for us. Yes, the Holy Spirit has been given to us for our good, for our benefit, but it's not only about us. A couple weeks ago, yes, the Holy Spirit is in you as the helping hand of heaven. He's there to help you, most certainly. Last week, the Holy Spirit is in you as fire because he's there to convict you, but more importantly, convince you. Yes, he's there for you, for your good, for your benefit. But this morning, we turn it up a notch. Yes, his goal is to make you more like God, but the Holy Spirit's goal is to use you to lead other people to God. Yes, his goal is to help you through this life, but his goal is to use you to bring others eternal life. The Holy Spirit lives in Christians to make them more like Christ, but also to help them share the message of Christ so other people can become Christians. You with me? His goal, his ministry is to turn weaklings into powerful witnesses. We minister here and here and here and all the way to the ends of the earth. His goal for you is to carry out this plan with great power, but you can't do it on your own. You've got to have the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit can do far greater things in and through you than you could ever imagine doing on your own. Look at the rest of Acts, Acts chapter 2. So they're waiting. The disciples are kind of waiting in this moment. Here's what happens next. The entire world is basically gathered in Jerusalem in this moment. It's called the Feast of Pentecost. It's a seven-day party basically for the, the harvest for a great year that new things are growing. People from 15 different ethnicities, 15 different nations, 15 different uh, languages have gathered in Jerusalem. The ends of the earth, well, they're, they're here right now in Jerusalem. And the disciples are waiting. 
doing what they were told finally, just kind of waiting around, waiting, 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 waiting for the Spirit to show up. And boy, does he make an entrance. Acts 2, verse 1. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all gathered together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. The disciples saw what seemed to be tongues of fire separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they said, Aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our own native tongue, our own native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phyersia, Pamphylia, Egypt, parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, Jews and converts to Judaism, Christians, Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongue. Amazed and perplexed, they said, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, oh, they've just had too much wine. Now, what happens in this text is exactly what Jesus said would happen in Luke 24 in Acts 1. The disciples are baptized in the Spirit. They are clothed with power from on high. They are turned in this moment, Acts 2, from weaklings to witnesses. They are now filled with the power of heaven itself, power to preach, power to teach, power to reach people for Jesus. And this, this story, read in Acts chapter 2, this is not just some story that we read about and are supposed to reflect on. This is the blueprint. This is how it goes. This is how we do it. This is not some anomaly. This is how every Christian has been called to act. Hear me out real fast. If you haven't been paying attention so far, tune in right now. God will always reach and teach the lost by sending out the saved. He will always use spirit infused believers to reach thousands and thousands of unbelievers. He will always and forever ask his worshipers to also be his witnesses. It happened in the first century and God wants it to happen right now in the 21st century. It happened in the early church and I want it to happen at West Bowles Community Church. I don't know about you, but I'm ready for that. I mean, in Acts 1, Jesus he more or less is asking the question that Marvin Gaye asked years ago. You, you gotta watch this clip. Here it is. All right, Acts chapter 1 is Marvin Gaye. Can I get a witness? Acts chapter 2 is the disciples in the background saying, yes, you can. That's Acts chapter 1, chapter 2. 18 seconds of Marvin Gaye. You didn't know, but that's it. The question being asked in chapter 1, can I get a witness? And the disciples saying, because now they're infused with the Holy Spirit, yes, you can. Now, most of us have probably heard a sermon or two or ten about evangelism, right, and the importance of sharing our faith. But I doubt that many of you have looked at all of that information through the lens of the Holy Spirit, and that changes everything. But if you don't listen to it, if you don't receive it in the Spirit, if you're not aware of the Spirit's role in your evangelistic efforts, then nothing's going to happen. 
And that's why most of us have never really done anything with this information. See, if statistics are true, then less than 2% of believers share their faith with non-believers. Less than 2% of Christians will talk to non-Christians about Christ. That's a ridiculous statistic, isn't it? And we tend to feel guilty about that. We know we should do better. And so we listen to podcasts about evangelism. So we pick up the new book about great evangelists and, and their best practices. We look for seminars. We share links. We get into small groups, talk about how we might do it. And I'm all for those kind of things. But you know what I'm really looking forward to? You know what I really want? Is the Holy Spirit to change me and empower me into a great witness. That's what I want. I want the power of heaven in my life so I can drag a bunch of other people to heaven with me at the end of this life. You with me? I'm all for like reading about it and studying it. You know what I really, really want though? I just want an anointing of the Holy Spirit to turn me from a weakling into a witness. Because you see guys, the, the Holy Spirit, he's the fuel in any evangelistic explosion. He's the beginning, middle, and end of every evangelistic equation. The Holy Spirit is the power behind our proclamation. And when he shows up, you're going to know it. You're going to see it. When he shows up, it's going to be obvious to everybody. This is a silly illustration, but one that I, I read years ago from Francis Chan. I think it works perfect. I like to play basketball. I really like to play basketball. But the fact that I'm six foot nothing and have chicken legs uh, doesn't make me uh, uh, all that good at that particular sport. I try my best. I jump around, whatever you call white men trying to, you know, get vertical. I, I, I do my best to pass it and make a shot now and again. Like, I, I do okay. But, but suppose that I told you I had an encounter with the living Lord, with the God of the heavens and earth, and he gave me a supernatural ability to play basketball. Do you think I'd be a little bit better than I was before? You think I could jump just a tad bit higher, make a few more shots? You think it would be obvious to everybody, like, something happened to that guy? Well, of course it would be. That's exactly what the Holy Spirit wants it to be. He's going to transform you from who you were, from this weakling, into a powerful witness. And everybody's going to see the difference, including you. I mean, just ask Peter. The Apostle Peter, one of the first 12 that Jesus called to, to walk with him for three years. The guy that we read about in the Gospels, he's kind of weak. He's mistake prone. He's a blubbering fool. He often says things that he shouldn't, and then when he's supposed to talk, he doesn't say anything. See, Peter knew a lot about Jesus. Peter had spent a lot of time with Jesus. I firmly believe Peter loved Jesus, but he struggled in standing up for Jesus. He struggled talking to others about Jesus. And I think that same thing describes many of us. But, but then Acts 2 happens. Then the Holy Spirit comes upon him and he receives power. He's moved from a weakling to a witness. And boy, what a difference a day makes. No, scratch that. What a difference the Holy Spirit makes. I call it the PP Peter. I'm not st 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 stuttering. It's the post-Pentecost Peter. Okay, on Pentecost Sunday, they're waiting in that room, right? You're with me so far right there? And nothing outside has changed. Rome still rules. The world's still a very broken place. And the Pharisees thought that they did away with this whole Jesus movement. Nothing has changed outside, but one thing has changed inside. What was it? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit had changed these men's hearts. And therefore, because that one thing changed in here, everything else is about to change out there. Oh, I love that the Lord can do that. 
in this little room that no one's paying attention to, right? In the middle of this huge party, everybody's out there celebrating the Feast of Pentecost and the, and the movement of God is happening up there in that little room and it's about to break out to the rest of the world. The P.P. Peter is a powerful Peter. In fact, after he's baptized in the Spirit in that way, after he turned from a weakling into this witness, he stands up and gives the greatest sermon this world's ever heard. He proclaims the message of Jesus to the masses. He goes from hiding in the dark to standing in the street and shouting out and shining the light. He goes from a guy who was stumbling and mumbling just a few months ago to the greatest preacher ever. What was the difference? It had to be his training. It was that seminar he attended. No, no, the best-selling book he read. No, it wasn't. It was just an anointing of the Holy Spirit. An anointing of the Holy Spirit makes all the difference in the world and allows you to spread the gospel to the rest of the world. You with me? The same is true for a bunch of people throughout the scriptures. Paul in Acts 9, I mean, he goes from murdering Christians to making Christians. He goes from hunting them down to helping them out. What's the difference? Was it that small group lesson that he went through? No, it was that DVD set that he purchased, that YouTube clip that he watched. No, no, no. It was an anointing of the Spirit. The Spirit changed him from one type of man to another type of man. Even later in his life, he says this, 1 Corinthians 2, My message, my preaching, they're not with wise and persuasive words. Although Paul could have brought them to the table, he was the best of the best, straight-A student. Highest collegiate degree there was. But I didn't come to you with all that stuff. I came to you with a demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith might not rest on men's wisdom but on God's power. And Paul's not speaking hypothetically here. He experienced it himself. He was clothed with that power himself, and it changed him. It transformed him from a weakling to a witness. And now, church, it's our turn. Christian, it's your turn. Reminds me of a story I read this week. A man went out one day, and he bought his dream car. Totally souped up, white and blue Dodge Viper. And just in case you're looking for an Easter gift for your favorite pastor, that's my favorite car as well. Well, he purchased the vehicle and he immediately went home to show his family. His 16-year-old son is at the house. When he sees his dad roll up in this Dodge Viper, get in, the dad yelled, and off they went. Flying down the street, zipping past the traffic, skidding around the corners. This is incredible, the sunset as he's holding on, his head's being pushed back because of the G-force. Well, it's a whole lot better in the driver's seat, his dad said. He pulled the car off to the side of the road and he handed the keys to his son and he said it's your turn it's your turn that's exactly what the Lord is saying to each and every one of us as it pertains to being a witness in this world oh it's fun looking at what God is doing out there it's fun hearing stories it's fun watching other people be a witness God says oh no 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 it's a lot better in the driver's seat it's your turn come on Christian it's your turn to do this thing See, I don't know about you guys, but I long for that gap, the gap that I read about in the scripture about the power of their witness and then that huge gap that exists between the power of my witness or lack thereof. I long for that gap to be narrowed, and it is. The Holy Spirit bridges that gap. He takes what is ideal over here that we read about and he makes it real for us. We can do what happened in Acts 2 because it's the same spirit. It's a spirit that Jesus compared to the wind. John 3, 5 and 8. Very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and spirit. See, flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Holy Spirit, he gives birth to a spirit, to new spirit. You should not be surprised at me saying you must be born again. Uh, the wind, it blows wherever it pleases. 
You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it's coming from, where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. See, thus far in our study of the Holy Spirit, we've seen that he is like a dove. He is this peaceful presence there that is with you to help you. We saw last week he's like the fire. He's there to convict and to change and to convince you. Well, now he's also like the wind. In fact, the word used for spirit throughout much of the Bible is the Hebrew word royah. And they believe that is what God's breath sounded like, royah. The Holy Spirit is God's breath. It's God's wind. If you want to see the Holy Spirit move, watch this. You ready for this? This is crazy. Oh. Yeah. No one stood, but you probably should have been. The Spirit is like the wind. Why? Because he's a mysterious power. You cannot fully grasp or explain where he comes from. You don't fully understand where he's going. You're not exactly sure what's causing it or when it will stop, but you know it's real because it's doing something. You know it's real because it's visible and it's changing the things that are around it. Guys, the wind has been a mighty force in Denver the last couple of weeks, hasn't it? I mean, from blowing over your trash cans to making you got to blow your nose all the time, which I have to do right now. The wind has an effect on things, doesn't it? And that's what God wants the Holy Spirit to have on you, a powerful effect. But there's just one catch. You kind of got to position yourself in front of the wind. You kind of have to get ready for it and prepare yourself, right? So a little boy, he bought a kite one day, and he immediately ran out into the middle of this huge park that was full of people to fly his kite. He'd never owned a kite before, so he just started running around, throwing it in the air. He was having fun and thought this was a pretty cool toy, but he knew something was wrong, something was off. Finally, another kid comes up to him and says, hey, dude, It's a lot more fun if you take it out of the packaging. (laughs) It's a lot more fun if you take it out of the packaging. I wonder if God isn't saying that same thing as it pertains to being a witness for him in this world, as it pertains to tapping into the Spirit's power. It's a lot more fun. You'll have a lot more success. You will lead people to the Lord if you just let the Holy Spirit out of the packaging. Just let him use you and infuse you. I mean, the wind is great for a sailboat if the sail is up. Right? The wind is great for a kite if the kite is out of the packaging. And so he's saying, Christian, I want you to spread the good news. I want you to spread heaven. I want you to spread eternity. I want you to spread God's love to everyone around you. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, ends of the earth. Everyone's included. Talk about me. Share the message about me. And utilize the power of the Holy Spirit to do it. Ride the wind of the Holy Spirit to do it. Take the kite out of the packaging. It's a lot more fun when you do that. So how do we do that? How do we tap into the power of the Spirit? How do we allow for him to to make us like that first church and to reach the lost? How do you do it? Well, I've got two minutes to tell you, so buckle up. Acts chapter 2, go back there real fast. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. Okay, we got that they waited, they waited, they waited. Finally, he showed up. They were transformed from weakling to witness. They were made to be what they were called to be. And first thing, they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now, we're going to talk a lot more about this in future weeks. We talk about the gifts of the Spirit. But I want to point out one thing. They were all filled with the Spirit, and they began to speak. They began to speak. The disciples' words became the first and the most important tool that the Holy Spirit started to use to lead other people to the Lord. And that's nothing new. It's been the same way throughout all the Old Testament The Holy Spirit descended upon so-and-so in the Old Testament, and I guarantee you, 90% of the time it will say, and then they said. 
And then they said, Jesus, the Holy Spirit has descended upon me, anointed me. Why? To proclaim. To proclaim. To proclaim. The Spirit of the Lord came upon me and I said, the Spirit uses your speech. This quote last week stopped me dead in my tracks. In the midst of a generation screaming for answers, Christians are silent at worst and stuttering at best. Well, not the Christians in Acts 2. Not the Christians dancing behind Jesus in Acts 2. They are not stuttering or silent. They are speaking boldly and clearly and effectively. Why? Because the Holy Spirit. Because the power of the Holy Spirit was in them and they knew it. Guys, the Holy Spirit, his power is in you as well. But most of you just don't know it. Mark 13, 11, whenever you are arrested and brought to trial, don't worry beforehand about what you're going to say. Just say whatever is given to you at the time, for it's not you speaking, but who? The Holy Spirit. Let me ask you a question real fast. Is Mark 13, 11, is that, is that in your Bible? Or is that just mine? Is Mark, you think Mark 13, 11, you think it's in every Bible? No. If it's in every Bible, then why do so many Christians shy away from talking about the Lord? If it's in every Bible, then why are you afraid to share your faith because you don't think you have all the answers? If it's in every single Bible, then why don't you talk about your faith or invite somebody to church because you're afraid someone's going to stump you with some weird question? Hello, Mark 13, 11. Don't worry about what you're going to say. Paraphrase, don't even prepare for the impromptu speech. When it's time to speak, you just speak and I'll do the work, the Lord says. You'll know what to say and when to say it. Just start talking. Christian, take the kite out of the packaging. Put your sails up. Speak. Speak. Something happened to me a few weeks ago at Copper Mountain. Really drilled this point home. I went up to uh, the mountains for a day of snowboarding by myself. I was super excited. That's not me. This is actually what I look like when I go snowboarding. Um, But I was super excited. I had all my tunes. I had all this food. About an hour to my day, I'm on the chairlift with these two little guys. Somewhere around the ages of like 12 and 7. I think that they're brothers. I can kind of see these badges they have. I'm jamming out to like some tritonal or something. I'm totally not on this chairlift with them. Uh, Yes, physically, but not in any other way. And the Holy Spirit kind of nudges me to start talking to them. So I just turn the music up. That's what you do when the Holy Spirit nudges you. You're just like, nope. Well, then the, the nudgings and the promptings, they continue. So I just take out a sandwich. I'm like, Lord, I'm in the middle of a meal here. We're like communing. I don't want to talk to these guys. Well, then I was afraid the Holy Spirit would cause me to choke on the sandwich, so I decided to, fine, fine, okay, okay, guys, hey, man, hey, how's how's it going, dudes, how's the day? Well, they start talking back, super friendly, 20 seconds of pleasantries, then the littlest guy, no older than seven, turns to me and he says, our dad died last year in a plane crash. It was a year ago today, that's why we're here. Our mom brought us up to kind of celebrate it, remember it. Now, I nearly spit out my sandwich all over the two of them, but luckily I did not. Really? I asked. You can imagine how the rest of the chair ride went. How are you doing? How's it going? The oldest guy says, I kind of feel like I'm the man of the house now. And I said, you don't have to be that right now. We will find help for you. We will find older men to mentor you and encourage you. How's your mom doing? 
Our mom's in the, in, the, in the chairlift ahead of us. Her name's Mary. So I was talking about that. So after we got off, I kind of rode over, and I'm like, Mary? She's like, yes. <laughs> I give her this big old hug. I'm like, I am so sorry. The boys just told me what happened last year. How are you? What do you need? How can we help you? We go on to talk a little bit. I think she was kind of creeped out, but she was cool to talk to me. So you just let me know. We'll pray for you. We will help you in any way we can. As I'm kind of skiing away, the oldest boy yells out, hey, thanks. Thanks for talking to us. And I had to think, thanks? Thanks for talking to you? It was my joy to talk to you. It was an honor and a gift and an opportunity the Holy Spirit gave me to talk to you. Don't thank me for that. I'll never forget that moment for the rest of my life. And it was the Holy Spirit saying, you're not a weakling, you're a witness. So speak, man. Speak. Get your kite out of the packaging and say something about Jesus. And watch what happens. Guys, don't worry about what you're going to say. Just say something. Trust that when you open your mouth and share your faith, when you, when you bring up your church to your coworkers, when you ask someone at school if you can pray for them, when you mention a marriage conference that you went to this weekend, we talk about what you do every Monday night at Awana, when you, when you mention our recovery groups or ask someone to an Easter service, just say something and trust that the Spirit will use any of it and all of it, even the smallest part of it, to do something incredible. Just trust, just believe, just give the Spirit a chance. The disciples are nothing more than high school dropouts. In Acts 2, it says, aren't these men just all Galileans? Yet they know all these different languages. Calling them Galileans was not a compliment. They're not who you would expect to be teaching and reaching the world right now. And yet they're the ones who God is using to do just that. They have 15 different nationalities, 15 different languages, and they're all speaking them perfectly. And people are hearing exactly what they need to hear and being blessed by it. And that happens all the time. If you would just speak, it doesn't even sometimes matter what you say because God will use that moment, blah, he'll use it to bless somebody else. Happens all the time in preaching. Someone will come up to me after the sermon and be like, man, that was a great sermon. I loved when you said dot, dot, dot. I'm like thinking back, it's like, I never said dot, dot, dot. I have no idea what you're talking about, but that's a great point. Whoever did say it, Phenomenal. You know who said it? The Holy Spirit said it. He just used some words, and sometimes too many. Sorry, we're running late. He used a lot of words, and he said something to somebody. They heard it in their own language. They heard it in a way only they could understand. All I did was just give a word. I just, I just started to speak, and the Spirit did the rest. So that day in Acts chapter 2, they wait. They're anointed. They proclaim. 3,000 people come to know the Lord. 3,000 people are saved because one man is changed from a weakling to a witness and he just starts to speak. How many more, church, how many more people could be saved if that was true for every single person in this room? How many more people could be saved when we are transformed by the Spirit from weakling to witness? How many? Let's find out. Come on. Let's find out. Let me pray. We'll get you out of here. God, you are the one who empowers us to do so many things. You're the one who empowers us to, to get through all the highs and lows of this world and this life. We thank you. Your Holy Spirit is our helper. You're the one who convicts us of sin and convinces us that we are loved. You're the one who makes us more holy. And for that, we thank you. Thank you for your Holy Spirit being in us. But this morning, God, it's not about us. 
It's about you using us to bring life and hope and heaven to others. The Holy Spirit is heaven's great witness. It's the wind of heaven blowing us into different directions, moving us into powerful places, God. And we pray that will happen this week. Would you anoint this church? Would you anoint the individuals in this church right now with your Holy Spirit and with your wind and with your power to be a witness? Would we start to share and speak the name of Jesus? Would we invite people to church? Would we talk about what the gospel is, what heaven will be like? Would we just give the Spirit some ammunition to use, God, to go out and do an incredible work? Please make it so. Even on the verge of Easter, God, this is a perfect moment for us to say, Holy Spirit, have your way. Use my speech. Take my words, however discombobulated they might be, however, however elementary they might be. Take my words. I'll just say the name of Jesus. It's Jesus. I'll just start saying it. And I pray you will use that word to do an incredible work. God, you saved 3,000 people in one day because of Peter's speech. Would you save even more because of what happens and what is spoken of and spoken by the people at West Falls. Make it so. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you all so much for being here. Have an amazing Palm Sunday. Don't forget your dollar in the bin. On the way out, God bless you. Be strong and courageous. See you at Easter.